chapter 2 God being at work in the in the midst of circumstances that may not always look that way is a part of part of what we're going to learn from this book uh, not tonight but that's a one of the themes that we'll see as the story unfolds is that circumstances look one way and God's activity look a different way and uh, so it's going to be it's going to be a cool way to, to conclude it in a few weeks uh, we're going to start uh, tonight in chapter 2. We're going to read the, cover the whole chapter. Just as a way of reviewing very quickly. Um, the story begins with a woman named Naomi. She had a, her husband's name was Elimelech. Um, strong name. Uh, so Naomi and Elimelech lived in Bethlehem. And there was a famine, and so there's no food. And so the two of them and their two sons left Bethlehem and went to go to a region where there had been rain and there had been food, all that stuff. And so they went to Moab, and while they were there at some point, uh, they were there about 10 years, somewhere in there, uh, both their sons married local women. And uh, so they went from a family of four to a family of six, and then um, all three of the males died. So Elimelech and the two sons passed away. And so then you were left with Naomi and her two uh, daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And so word came that back home in Bethlehem that it had rained and there were crops. And uh, so Naomi decides, look, I'm going to go back home. And you girls, y'all stay here. This is where you're from. This is where your family is. Uh, it's kind of too late for me, but it's not too late for you in regard to uh, marrying and, and having that covering. So in, at this point in time, uh, all, the, all of, like, it's just, you know, it's a different time. And so women were very much dependent on their families and their, particularly their husbands for provision. And so all three of these women being without husbands left them with no one to provide for them at all, just no social structure then. And so that's what she was saying is that uh, you two are young enough to marry again and you can, can be provided for. I'm a little too old, so I'm, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Y'all stay here and, and whatever. And after this uh, pretty, uh, pretty emotional in- encounter, Orpah decided to stay. And Ruth said, absolutely not. I'm not going to abandon you. And she made this commitment. You know, it's where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Um, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So she commits to her mother-in-law and says, you're not going to go back over there and all that kind of stuff by yourself. I'm coming with you. So they, they return to Bethlehem. They get back into the town, and everybody's like, what's going on? You know, when Naomi left, she had a husband, and he's not here, and where are the sons, and who's this, strange, who's this foreigner that we don't know? And there's kind of a stir, you know. And that's where we left things last week. So we pick up in, ver- in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. All right, now let me just, I'm going to pause a few times along the way, kind of make sure we're on the same page. Um, the way that God set things up in the midst of a culture where they were um, you know, dependent on families and all that kind of stuff, God installed a provisional law into, uh, into like Jewish uh, life where there was always going to be provision for those who are poor and for those who do not have a covering like someone who is a widow. And that comes from Leviticus 19. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We're going to throw it up on the screen uh, here in a second. Leviticus 19 is where that law is written. And so this is kind of what she's coming down to. Um, It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So th- those who owned the fields, um, and they would send out the workers into the field to reap everything, uh, they, would, they would leave some behind. So if they're going along and they're, and they're picking you know, grain or cutting it or whatever, if some fell on the ground, the instruction was you leave that. If something falls out of the basket, you, just, you leave it. If you miss one, you leave it. Uh, and don't go all the way, all the way to, the, to the perimeter of the, of the property. Don't go all the way to the fence. Don't go all the way to the, to the point of the corner. Turn those corners. You just leave some margin all around the outside of the field so that the poor and those who are on a journey and those who don't have a covering can come in and they can collect what was dropped and they can get the stuff on the outside. And so it was you know, in the very, very earliest point, God just said, look, my people, the people with my name, we're, we're going to take care of those around us who don't, who don't have provision. And so uh, when you go back to the book of Ruth, that's what Ruth is saying to Naomi. She's, she's basically saying, look, we have no covering. We are poor. We have nothing to eat. We don't have husbands, and that's, you know, that covering is not there. So I'm going to go to a field, and I'm going to go stand on the side and wait for the reapers to go by. I'm going to go collect some, some stuff that's left. I'm just going to go find a field somewhere where the, where the landowner is not stingy. And he's taking that law seriously, and he's left margin for us. I'm going to go get us some food. That's basically what she's saying. And so she's dependent on, on finding a favorable landowner. And that's a really important thing to, to understand, that here she is in a situation that she cannot change, and she's dependent on some landowner saying, you, you can come and you can collect what's, what's dropped, and you can work the, the margins of the field, and you can take what's there. Uh, she needs somebody who takes Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 seriously. All right, so verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. All right, so he was a relative of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. It probably happens at your workplace every day, right? Your boss walks in, you know, probably at Fluger Farms, is that how it goes down? The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
I don't mean to make a joke of that. That speaks, speaks well to his character. I'm just saying. Uh, verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man, who is in charge of the reapers, Who's, whose young woman is this? And the, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. All right? So this guy had heard, he heard about her commitment. He knew she, who she was when they, they came back into the town and there was a stir. This guy who was overseeing the workers, he, he knew exactly who she was and she had talked to him. Verse 7 um, says, She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. Uh, after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay? Remember that. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. All right? Um, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what, was, what she had gleaned, and it was about an epah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with, with, whom, uh, with whom she had worked and said, the, man, the man's name whom I worked today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Okay, we'll cover that next time. Um, one of our redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. 
the the kindness and the way that Boaz cares for Ruth is, is a shadow of something greater. It's a shadow of the way that, that Christ deals with us. I think sometimes in church circles, you know, we, we have this, this like language that we speak, you know, and, and, and a lot of times it's hard to interpret and everything, but there's, you know, with that kind of vernacular, there's also this assumption that everybody knows exactly what, that, what things mean. I think sometimes it's good for us to see in, in, like, in a story like this, in a narrative, examples of, of the way that God deals with us. Because, because admittedly, it's, at times it feels a little bit like intangible, you know, like um, to say that God takes care of you. Sometimes it's helpful to, to see how two people uh, take care of each other and you say, oh, God does that, but in a great and holy and perfect and amazing way with me. And so that's, that's where I like, uh, that's, that's where I feel like, like God wants us to go with this chapter tonight. And so I want to go through a couple of things. And I want us to think in very, very personal terms. Uh, don't think general. Don't think, this is how Jesus deals with the church. I want you to think, this is how Jesus deals with me. I want you to be self-centered in how you hear this. And I've just been, been praying that the Lord would just really just speak, like just hit you right between the eyes and personalize some of these things. And so don't throw this onto other people. Let him, let's just let him really just minister to us and say, yeah, see how, see how Boaz treated Ruth? I, I do, I'm like that with you, except way, 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 way better. Way better. And so when he tells her that she's come to take refuge under, under the wings of God, and it's kind of, kind of what, what I'm thinking is like a, a way to understand. Is this, what is the refuge, what does refuge underneath the wings of God look like for us? Uh, the way Boaz treats Ruth, it's a shadow of that, that I believe that we can learn something uh, from it. So let's, let's go back just a little bit. Um, look, at verse, look at verse 8. I wrote down six, uh, six things. So if you're a note taker, there you go. Um, Six things that, that describe what it's like to be under the wings of God as a refuge. The first one is there's protection. Um, verse, verse 8 again. It says, Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Then, and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the, charged the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He says, look, you, you, um, you keep close to my young women, you'll be safe. I've already taken care, taken care of the guys. So you don't have to worry about them. All right? He's saying, you're, you're going to be safe, just stay, stay in my field. Okay? Stay within the, the borders of, of the things that I oversee, and you're going to be you're going to be just fine. There's there's protection in the refuge of God in that in that same exact way. Um, Boaz is offering her physical protection, right? But also there's some emotional protection that comes with that that she can kind of rest. You know, it's like a burden that's lifted. She doesn't have to like always be looking over her her back. Um, 
And he's, he's saying, look, you're going to be fine. Just, just stay here. You'll be okay. And, I mean, God does that for us. There's not always, you know, physical protection necessarily. I mean, we get sick, you know. We, we have accidents. We stub our toes, you know. We, um, we, we have, just, there's just that kind of things where it's, it's easy to say, God doesn't protect us. Well, I think he does. I think he does. I think he protects us. We've all probably been in situations that were, were almost really, really bad, and you just can't deny that God, you know, protected you in that. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. All of it he uses, you know, regardless. But I think the protection in the refuge of God is really, it's really more about the things that we can't protect. You know, he protects, he protects our hearts, protects our minds, he protects our, our soul. He protects us from the evil one. He protects us from the world. Um, he protects us sometimes from one another. Uh, there's this, this, this protection that's there. And he, and he set things up, and just in the same way how Boaz is saying, look, you stay in my field, stay in, in, stay in the parts of this thing where, that I oversee. And of course, God oversees everything. But I think if we think in terms of, of how God has he's set up some borders, you know, he's set up some levees, and he's saying, look, this is where you're going to be safe. You want to venture outside of this? If I tell you you don't do this and you're going to venture outside of that and go do it, I, like, you're not going to be safe that way. And so that's why, as, as his children, there are, are things that we do and things that we don't do. Because God said, look, if you, want to, if you do this, it's going to hurt. And my kingdom's not about pain. So just avoid these things. Say no to these things. Say no to these places. You know, they're just he's saying, stay, stay in my field. You'll be fine. Now, with God, it's not to say that he can't protect us outside of that, because he protects us then as well, but why would you want to go outside of, of where he's said, like, this is, this, is where, this is where you need to be? And the protection of our souls, you know, the fact that we, we have not done anything to earn our salvation, and so... Uh, you can, you know, on those really terrible days, those days when, when you just, you've messed up, you, you just, you, you had what in your mind is like the, like the worst possible day a Christian can have, that on that worst day, he's still protecting you. He's looking out for you. He's guarding you. That's what he does. In Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to give some verses. You don't have to flip to these. We're going to put them up on the screen. In Philippians 4, verse 4, we see, we see this, uh, similar thoughts. It says, I, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay? She, Ruth did not have to be anxious about where she was going to reap, and was she going to be attacked or whatever. There's this lack of worry that comes with that protection. Um, same thing with us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's refuge 
under the wings of God. There's a protection that is there. He protects you. He protects me. Ruth's protection by Boaz is just a shadow of a greater reality. The next one. There's provision. In those same verses, in verses 8 and 9, we saw that Boaz provided food for her by, by letting her glean in those fields. He also, provided, uh, he also provided water for her. Her needs were being met, basically. The, the kindness of Boaz extends to her, made sure that she had something to eat and something to drink. She had that protection. There's also that provision that was there. And God does the same thing with us. Our needs are met. Our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, our physical needs, our, our mental needs. You know, like you come up with a need, he, he meets it. And whether he does that directly through the, through the Holy Spirit... Or whether he does it, I, I hate to say indirectly, but you, you know what I mean. Sometimes he does it directly through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses people to come in. And in, in either case, it's him getting it done, making sure that those needs are met. And we work really hard, uh, I believe, as a church to, to try and, and, and mirror that. And when we have needs, it's in our membership covenant. We're like, you've got to tell somebody when you need something. You can't just sit around and, and assume that people are going to know or are going to pick up on you know, some passive-aggressive Facebook status update or something ridiculous like that. You've got to tell people, I need help moving. I need prayer for this. I'm ha- I'm, I hate my job 100%, but I know I'm supposed to stay there. I'm not sure how to deal with it. You've got to say, this is what I need. And God meets those needs. God doesn't look at those needs and says, well, I, I'm, I'm too busy too busy to deal with that. Here's Boaz, landowner, coming out of a famine, you know, trying to collect all this stuff, trying to, to get food for his family, you can assume, to sell, you can assume. I mean, he's probably got a lot going on. And here he is with this random person from somewhere else who he heard about, says, hey, look, hey, make sure that, you know, you make sure you, you stay in this field and do this. And if you want something to drink, you drink from the water that those boys, you know, dug up from the well. And that's how God is, is with us. He's perfectly capable of keeping the world spinning and tending to all the prayer requests and all. He's, and, and he can tend to your needs at the same time. That's what the refuge looks like. Under the wings of God is there's, there's protection, but there's also provision. And we don't sit around and want. And so we have to push one another as, as his church to realize that when someone vocalizes a need, we are a part of God responding to that need by stepping out there. You know, That's what, because Ruth's real need, she needed food and she needed God to provide food. And God provided food through Boaz. So the church steps in, we as the people step in and help meet those needs in those ways. And so God takes care, He takes care of you. 
takes care of me. Um, Philippians 4.19, a few verses after what we just looked at, uh, it says this, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, God is rich. He's rich in, in, in everything. So in this verse, in this context, it's talking about financial needs. And if you were to read the, what came before it, that's what he's talking about. But, but God's rich in every way. He's rich in, rich in love, and he's rich in mercy, and he's rich in grace, and he's rich in wisdom. And he, I mean, he's just so unlike us. And so out of those riches, he meets every need. And so we jump in, and we're a part of that. But when you have taken refuge in the wings of Christ, those needs are met by Him directly, every time. Uh, the third thing that we see, look at verse, verse 10. Well, the third thing we see is, is hospitality. Um, verse 10, so Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Okay, and then look at verse 13. You know, Boaz replies, and then she says, "Um, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She's acknowledging, okay, this should should not be happening. Um, Boaz has treated her like family, when in fact she's actually an, an enemy. Uh, Moabites were not friendly with with Israel, and there's some historical stuff there, or whatever. But basically, she was one of the bad guys, and here she is. This landowner is like being all kind to her, and offering this this provision, this protection to her. He's treating her like she's family. I know what you're saying, like, but she is family, right? No, oh, she's a foreigner. She married into the family. Her tie to the family is gone. He died. And here's Boaz caring for her, not like she's a stranger and not like she's a foreigner, but like she's one of his own. And that is, that's what God does for us. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 12 and 13. We get some insight for this. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Okay, well, all right. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Boaz treating her like family, it's a shadow of the reality of how Jesus treats us because we were separate. We were foreigners. We were strangers. We were enemies because of sin. And yet by the blood of Christ, he's brought us near. And in the Bible, when it talks about refuge in the, under the wings of God, it talks about it in several places. You've you got to get pretty close to get under the wings of a bird, right? I would assume. Never done it. That's some, some nearness. And so to take refuge, there's this idea of like, come, come closer, come closer, come closer, and let the wings cover you. You know, that's, that's hospitality. That's treating a stranger like their family. 
That's what Jesus has done with us. That's what Boaz does with Ruth. That's what Jesus does to you and for me. And sometimes we have that leftover deal because there's that, that leftover parts of our minds that, that still feel like we're far away. You know, we still feel like a stranger. We still feel like we're, like we're not welcome to, to God and to God's people. But, but Jesus is constantly turning that upside down. You know? And in those verses, he's saying, that's what you were. You were alienated. You, know? you were a foreigner. You were estranged. That's, that's what happens. But now, by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. We've been brought into the shadow of his wings, brought been near to him in that refuge. And so that kind of hospitality, that's what he extends to us. And so those feelings, those leftover feelings, I think that's a part of what, why Ruth is kind of like, what's going on? Why are you being so kind to me? I don't, this makes no sense. I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. And, and she's thanking him, but she, you can tell it's just blowing her mind. And I, I, it should blow our minds still. Then our... We think sometimes like that old leftover stuff and, and God's constantly telling us like, no, no, you're not the same. You're new. You're new. You're new. You're mine. Just, just stay close. You're mine. And so we see that provision and that protection. We see hospitality. The next one uh, we see, we see in ab- just, I just wrote down abundance. Uh, in verse 14, it says, and at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. She ate until she was satisfied, and then there was some left over. Um, in, in Christ, in, in every single way, we experience this, the same thing. That's what, that's what kingdom life is. When we're living in the kingdom... In Christ, in every aspect of life, we, we see the same exact thing happen. That we are completely satisfied, and there's some leftover. And what do you, what do, you do with the leftover? What did she do with the leftovers? She brought, brought it to somebody who was hungry. And so in every, every area of life, uh, God does the same thing with us. Look up, uh, you don't have to look up there. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, uh, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can you go, go back and look at verse 20? Uh, to him who is able to do f- far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Uh, that's, that's almost like a dare, you know? Like I think Paul is, is daring the church at Ephesus. Like you, just, you just ask. Just ask. Just try. Just challenge. Challenge God. Whatever it is that, that you're facing, He can do far, far more than you can even just imagine or dream up. He's a God of abundance. And so, in Him, we are completely satisfied and there's some left over, always. It's when we look to other things that we come up short. And that's why, like, the, the appetite of the flesh is always just wanting more and more and more. You know, that's just, that's where that comes from. Because in Christ, there's abundance, there's riches, there's satisfaction, there's, there's abundance. There's just too much all the time. And in the world, it's just empty. 
empty, empty. And so just the simple, the simple fact that, that Boaz just kept feeding her and feeding her and feeding her, and then she's like, I've had enough, and he lets her take those leftovers home. I mean, that is a shadow of something greater that God does with us when we live in his kingdom and when we are in functioning in Christ and when we are abiding. That's your reality. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. The next one. The refuge of his wings, uh, he's just generous. Fifteen, Verse 15, chapter 2 of Ruth. When she rose to, go to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. He's saying, hey, all that, the stuff that we've already bundled together, go get some of that for her too and just kind of leave it for her. See, the law required that, that he just instruct his workers to like let the stuff drop and don't go all the way to the corners and the, and the edges and to cut the corners wide and all that. And that's really all he had to do. But here he is going beyond the legal requirements to make sure that she had provision. He's taking out of, out of his own stuff that's already bundled that legally, like according to, the, to God's law, was his and he could have kept to make money off of it or whatever. He takes some of that and says, no, no, you take this too. Because he is generous. Our God is generous with us. He doesn't, he doesn't withhold. He's not stingy. You know, it's out of those riches that he is, is meeting our needs. In uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 32 it says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not to give you 40 acres of the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. He invites us into His life, uh, 100% full access to Him, and He doesn't withhold that. You know, He doesn't hold anything back. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and we're going to rule the new earth forever and ever and ever and ever. He's not stingy. He doesn't hold back. He's, he's the most generous being in the whole universe. That's what a part of that refuge under his wings looks like. Is when we, when we take, take that refuge and we seek him, we, we get it all. I mean, he, doesn't, he doesn't hold back. He gives it all to us. The generosity of Boaz is just, it's just a shadow of this reality that God looks at your life and says, I want to give you the kingdom. I want to give you every bit of me. I gave my, my son so that that could be your reality. Just don't be afraid. Last thing. Uh, just simply put, uh, it's just the kindness. Verse twenty. Naomi said to her daughters, to her daughter-in-law, uh, "May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead." Ephesians chapter two, verse four. 4, 5, 6, and 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. All right, a little generosity there. Uh, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what, that's, I mean, that describes Jesus and his interaction with us. God's kindness to us is demonstrated in what Jesus did on the cross for you. And so we see protection, provision, hospitality, abundance, uh, generosity, kindness. These describe life in Christ, life under the refuge of God. This is, this is God's will for your life. There's one, there's one thing in this story that, I, that is not the same. It's absolutely not the same. Uh, look back, let's see, where is it? Verse 10. She, says, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done, that's it. That's the false narrative in there. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. I left your father and mother and native land come people you know before. All that you have done is not a shadow of reality in Christ. It's not. And that's not a, not a character issue with Boaz or anything like that. But what that is saying is he's like, I've heard what you've done and uh, this is, I'm going to reward you for like, just for your, you know, your character and what you've, you know, all that stuff. He's kind of saying, like, you've, you've earned it. And again, not an assault on Boaz, but if, if we're talking shadows of a greater reality, then we've got to point out that that's not a shadow. The false narrative in there is that we earn all that stuff. That we earn that protection and provision and we earn his hospitality and, and that abundance and that generosity and his kindness. That we, we work really, really hard. We, we stay in line. We, we do the things we're supposed to do. And we avoid the things we're not supposed to do. And then God is just kind to us and he's you know, nice. And he's on that swivel chair, you know, like we talked about in community groups like two years ago. That he's sitting there. As long as we're behaving right, he's looking at us and he's smiling and everything's good. And as soon as you mess up, he swivels around and faces backwards like, nope. Better start acting right. And you start acting right again. He like slowly turns around. And this is this game that, that so many Christians believe. And that's, that's false. That the protection and the provision and the generosity and the hospitality and the kindness, all those things about God, all that refuge that's there, has nothing to do with any, any effort of ours. Ephesians chapter 2 was, it follows what we just read in Ephesians a second ago. Verse 8. This is what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that you can't go thinking that you're awesome. That's my translation. Uh, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We didn't earn it. That just flickered, I'll black out. It flickered. 
We, we, didn't, we didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. It's just because God loves you. I'm going to close with, with a verse that is in, found in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And uh, you just need to just ingrain this in your mind. Uh, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that, that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you. It's keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord's brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see what he's saying? It's like it's not because you're awesome, and not because you're the greatest nation, and not because of anything that you have done. It's just because he loves you. That's, that's the reality. That's, that's, that's the heavenly reality that defines who you are. And I know, like, I, I know I've talked a little longer than I had planned on it, but uh, trust me, I'm holding back the reins a little bit. But I think we just need to be blessed by the goodness of our God sometimes, you know? There aren't, like, seven practical steps with this sermon. There's not even, like, a practical anything. I think God just wanted us to just sit for a little while tonight, and through this narrative see this shadow of something far greater and for him to say, this is how I look at you. This is how I treat you. This is how I feel toward you. Maybe for some, you just need to stop running. Maybe for some, you need to grow up. And I could just go through all these things. I don't know what the reaction is, but I think God just wants us to be like, wow. What what an amazing God we have. So we're going to sing a little bit in response, and uh, then we're going to go. So let me just pray for us. God, we thank you for, for your grace. And what a phenomenal, um, well, just what a phenomenal story that we have in front of us. And, um, God, honestly, sometimes we just we need like we need stories like this. We need a narrative that we can walk through kind of slowly in, in order to see some of those things. We're grateful for the way that Boaz uh, treated Ruth, but we're so grateful, Father. That's just it's a shadow that falls short of of the beauty and the majesty of what's real to us. That you say, yeah, Boaz was kind, but you have no idea how kind I am. You have no idea what kind of protection and provision come from me. You have, you've never seen generosity like mine. I pray, God, that you would, that you would really just, just drive that deeply into our minds and into our hearts tonight. That we would um, we would not dismiss those things or, or be quick to apply them to other people and somehow like deflect it off of ourselves, but that, that you would just, just really just push through all of our stubbornness and our refusal to see ourselves like you do. 
and that your peace would guard our, our hearts and our minds in regard to these truths as you say no this this is real this is real